Well, today is day number 35 of the Omer, which is week number five. <laughs> did, you, did you lose track? You, you're counting as I'm speaking, huh? <laughs> but let's just not go to that one source um, that I was told about two weeks ago that is actually this week in week day number 21. Huh? Even some of the other sources we know of are still within a few days, not two weeks apart. But that was interesting to hear that particular um, method of counting, which would mean we're not even halfway yet, but that's not true. So we find ourselves 15 days from the end of counting the Omer. And as I said, we're counting down or counting up, whichever perspective you want to take, to Shavuot. We're counting from Passover, which celebrates our freedom from Egypt. And then Shavuot, of course, celebrates the giving of the Torah. So we're going from freedom to redemption. It also celebrates the giving of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, as we can read about in Acts chapter 2. These two Moadim, Passover, Pesach, and Shavuot, have, someone else coined this phrase, but I, I like it, have in a sense become married to one another because there is a connection. So we become completed when we get to the end of the, that 50 days of counting. So our freedom from Egypt finds its meaning in the Torah, the giving of the Torah on Shavuot. This parasha that we're into this week, Bahar, has the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And they're receiving the instructions uh, that will prepare them for receiving the Torah. They're not receiving the Torah this week, but they're being prepared. And it's just a couple of weeks away from hearing those booming, that booming voice from the mountain. We've talked about it before that there are 54 individual portions or parshiot or parshot, depending on, again, your persuasion. But as we know, or as we should know, or most of us do know, there are not 54 individual readings. And that's because of the Moedim, the appointed times that kind of break things up. Remember, the, the reading cycle was established by the rabbis. It wasn't, it wasn't established by God. So it can be interrupted because of God's appointed times. And so there are several weeks that we have a double portion. This week, in many years, would be a double portion. Bahar, meaning on the mountain, specifically Mount Sinai, as I said. And in most years, it's combined with Bukhukatai, meaning by my decrees or by my laws. But this is a week that they are not combined this year. This year, they are separated. Bahar talks about the sabbatical year for the land or the year of Jubilee, as we heard earlier. We saw it in the readings, and Steve pointed that out during the worship set. It's when our, the slaves are set free 
and property is returned to the original owner. Earthly owner. Very important to understand that. Behukotai includes blessing and cursing. If the Israelites follow God's laws and commandments, then God's going to bless them with prosperity and peace. But if the people disobey and break his laws and commandments, God will punish them. But so that I don't step on any toes this week, I am not going to talk about Behukotai. And you know who I'm talking to when I say that. What I do want to look at is the emphasis that this combined parasha makes in relationship to the land. And it's not just ground. It's not just dirt. But it's there's this deeper relationship that the land has with God's creation as well as his chosen people. If we look back to the beginning, back to Exodus. I'm sorry. That's not the beginning, is it? There we go. Genesis, the beginning. The first chapters of Genesis describe for us how God created the earth and everything in it and saw that it was good. And you notice the whole progression that he went through. He created the earth first and afterwards he created mankind. And then in Genesis 2.15 it says that Adonai Elohim took the man and gave him rest in the Garden of Eden in order to cultivate and watch over it. This is the word study for today. The word that's translated as rest in this verse comes from the root. I have it here somewhere. Yanat. Which can also mean to settle down or to dwell or to remain, or even take up residence. So it's not the same sense as God rested from creation. Man is supposed to settle in the Garden of Eden. In other words, he lives there. That's his home. The important part of that verse is the reason he's to live there, not that he is living there. And that is to cultivate and watch over it. The word translated as cultivate comes from the word avodah. How many remember from the Rosh Kodesh vocabulary study, avodah? Which avodah means service. Another, that's where the, we get, it says to watch over it. Or that's where we get the word that says to cultivate. Then to watch over it is the word shamar which means to guard or to protect. So you could say that we, as mankind, are responsible to be the police of the earth. We're supposed to protect and serve God's creation, the earth. It's important to understand that people don't actually ever own land. They can't own the land. It doesn't belong to them ever. Especially not land in Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. Psalm 24, 1 through 2 says, The earth is Adonai's with all that is in it, the world and those who live there. For he set its foundations on the seas and established it 
on the rivers. So who does the earth belong to? It belongs to God, not us. Leviticus 25.23, it, it was in our parsha this week. Moreover, the land is not to be sold permanently. The American Standard Version uses the word, and I love this word for some reason, I don't know why, perpetuity, which means forever. Because the land is mine, says the Lord. So even though the parasha specifically refers to the land of Israel, that I will talk about a little later, we don't pray like this. Which, for those who are still learning, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of Israel. We don't pray that. What we do pray is, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the earth. Because that's where everything comes from. Do you know where your food comes from? And I don't mean where do you buy it, because some would say sprouts, some would say wherever else you buy. But no, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I've, I've shared this before, and I like the point that this story makes. It's, you know, it's a made-up story, of course. But a rabbi pulled an apple out of his bag, and he asked his Tamadim, what? Why do we say a blessing before we eat this apple? Because we need to become conscious of where this piece of fruit comes from. So the fruit just didn't appear in his bag. It had to come from somewhere. But then he goes on in his teaching to trace the whole journey of that piece of fruit. So he bought the apple at his local grocery store. But to get to that market where he bought it, the grower had to purchase it from a wholesaler, or the grocer had to purchase it from a wholesaler who had to purchase it from the grower. Now, for each of these steps, if that wasn't enough, the apple had to be loaded onto a truck or some other form of transportation and shipped to get to that grocery store. And then trucks, of course, they need fuel. That opens up a whole other progression, which starts from the oil well to the refinery, then being shipped to the fueling station, and then pumped into the truck, and so on and so on. We're not going to get caught up in how that truck gets to the fruit. But let's look back at the apple. The grower had to harvest the apple. The apple had to be picked by either a machine or by a worker, and yes, they do pick apples by machine, sadly. The tree that produced the apple had to be watered by either rain or some other type of irrigation system, which would require pipes and ditches and all these things that bring the water to the tree. And again, we can go into a whole study about how they got the water to the tree, but we're not going there. So the tree is watered. It's grown on the property of the owner, probably fertilized, and sometimes with a fertilizer that's also a derivative of petroleum. And then it's sprayed with some kind of pesticide, unless it's organically grown, and then we don't deal with those kind of things. But generally, this is what happens. And, of course, that's made from chemicals. 
And that's a whole other progression of things that had to happen in order for that pesticide and the fertilizer to be brought to the grower. But the tree comes from a seed. But first, the ground has to be plowed, tilled. It has to be prepared to receive that seed so that seed's going to grow. And then the seed's planted. So where does the land and the seed come from, asked the rabbi. Land and seed are the miracles. They come from God. Therefore, the blessing on the earth or the land. Every piece of fruit or vegetable in the grocery store has a similar progression. It didn't just appear on the store shelf. Sometimes those progressions become even more complicated because summer fruit, for instance, during our winter, is still available. How can that be? It has to be shipped from somewhere that still has the climate to grow the summer fruit that we really still want in the winter because we love that fruit so much. So it has to be shipped in and delivered by ship or by plane and then by truck into our local markets. But regardless of how or where our produce originally comes from, the whole progression starts with the land and the seed. Without that, you have nothing. You can't grow it on the top of the ground. We can go into the whole parable about the seed on top of the ground, on top of a rock that didn't take root and it died. It has to be put into the ground and it has to be fertile ground. So we say that blessing in order to acknowledge that these God-given gifts of land and seed, and by extension, we're blessing him for all the food. Deuteronomy 8, beginning at verse 6, it says, So obey the mitzvot of Adonai your God, living as he directs and fearing him. For Adonai your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, and water welling up from the depths in valleys and on hillsides. It is a land of wheat and barley, grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food in abundance and lack nothing in it, a land where the stones contain iron and the hills can be mined for copper, so you will eat and be satisfied, and you will bless Adonai your God for the good land he has given you. So not only is it included within the blessings as one of the blessings we say, it's a command that we bless God for the ground. The Birchat Hamazon, which is the blessing we recite after the meal, is actually a series of blessings that are recited that fulfill that mitzvah from verse 10. And that's where we... Again, bless the Lord for after eating a meal. For the most part, most of us only recite a very small portion of the the Birchat Hamazon. By the way, according to Jewish tradition, eating bread officially constitutes a meal. If no bread was eaten, it's an entirely different blessing. But there's still a blessing because it still comes from the ground. There are different versions of the Brit. Berkat Hamazon. Much like the story I told I believe, last week, there were two very lengthy versions of it, and I found an abbreviated one because it would be very tedious to hear the whole story. 
this, the, the Brichat Hamazon contains essentially four blessings. If you count the final part, it's five. The first blessing called Birchat Hazan praises God for sustaining life and providing food for all creatures. The second blessing is the Birchat Haaretz, thanking God for being compassionate and nourishing the Jewish people, both with food and with the Torah. It recalls the history of the Jewish people from the Exodus to the conquering of the land of Canaan. It also mentions that just as God sustained the Jewish people in the desert, he also currently sustains them and will continue to do so in the future. The third blessing is the Birchat Yerushalayim. Oh, I think we can hear that one, right, can't we? Ask God to be merciful and continue to support Jewish people and the land of Israel. So where the first two blessings praise God, this blessing changes the tone by adding a petition for God to quickly rebuild Jerusalem. And the fourth and final blessing, the Birkat Hatov Vehametiv, it stresses the various positive manifestations of the relationship between the Jewish people and God. This blessing ends by expressing the hope that God will never deny us anything good. I mean, isn't that what we really want? We want the good that God has to offer us. And if we do what he's told us to do and act the way he's told us to act, then we're opening ourselves up to being able to receive all of that good. I, I was going to print out the entire Birkat um, Hamazon just to show you how lengthy and it is, but uh, I didn't get a chance to do that. But trust me, I just gave you the snapshot, which is, going to, is a lot less tedious than going through the entire blessing. Now, a portion of the Birkat Hamazon says, For all of this, Lord God, we thank you and praise you. May your name be praised by every living being forever. We praise you, Lord God, for the land and its nourishment. Do we need nourishment to live? Of course we do. So if we don't have the land, the earth, where do we get our nourishment from? Yeah, you could say, I eat canned goods, but where'd the stuff in the can come from? So it doesn't work that way. Oh, but I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a protein loader. I'm, I'm in the Atkins diet. I eat nothing but meat. Guess what? What do you think they eat? They eat the things that come up from the ground. Can't get away from the fact that God gave us the earth to nourish us. In the first part of, of Parshat Bahar, the Israelites are told to make an adjustment in their relationship. Their relationship with the land. We read in Leviticus 25 verses 1 through 7, Adonai spoke to Moshe on Mount Sinai. He said, tell the people of Israel, when you enter the land I am giving you, the land itself is to observe a Shabbat rest for Adonai. Six years you shall sow your field. Six years you'll prune your grapevines and gather their produce. But in the seventh year it is to be a Shabbat of complete rest for the land. A Shabbat for Adonai. See, we get to enjoy a Shabbat every week. The land celebrates a Shabbat every 
six years. It's more important than we are, but we get more benefit from what God has given us. You are not to harvest what grows by itself. from the seeds left by your previous harvest. And you are not to gather the grapes of your untended vine. It is to be a year of complete rest for the land. But what the land produces during the year of Shabbat will be food for all of you, you, your servant, your maid, your employee, anyone living near you, your livestock, and the wild animals on your land. Everything the land produces may be used for food. So it does not go to waste. It still provides food for us. But notice the phrase, the seventh year will be a rest for the land and a Shabbat for Adonai. See, there's this intimate relationship between the land and God. Again, he created the earth before he created mankind. So there's a special relationship. You could say the land was his firstborn. In Jewish tradition, you can't have one without the other. The land referred to here, of course, Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, is a representation of God. Theoretically, you should not be able to refer to or think about or look at the land without thinking of God. It's his prized possession. The land is alive. Within it and from it, comes divine blessing. The land needs to be treated with reverence in the same way we treat God with reverence. See, God is the source of all life. You know, it was repeated, kind of repeated in Jeremiah. I was debating if I was going to go to this section today. I actually believe I shared it in the... uh, the bulletin uh, about Jeremiah's relationship and land. And this was from uh, my Jewish learning where Parshat Bahar, and if you have your bulletin, you can read it, uh, deals with many laws related to land, possession, and inheritance. In the Haftarah for Bahar, we read about how one of these laws affects the prophet Jeremiah and his family. It's important to realize Jeremiah was imprisoned at the time of this, in this time frame in his life. And at the opening, he's sitting there in the prison. Uh, and why? Because he was prophesying that the Babylonians were going to prevail over the Judeans and send Zedekiah into exile. So King Zedekiah puts him in jail for telling what's really going to happen. It's amazing when you look through Scripture and you see how many prophets are imprisoned when they speak what thus says the Lord. Can you imagine if that happened to the prophets of today? If they prophesied something, whether it's true or not, by the way, but they prophesy something that is not favorable to the person they're prophesying to, they want to lock them up. They want to shut them up. They want to exile them from wherever they are. They don't want to hear truth coming forth, even if it's God's truth. But in the Haftarah portion, Jeremiah has the opportunity to redeem a piece of property. 
Why? Wait a minute. Didn't we just read that in the Torah portion? That property is a return to its previous owner? That's what was happening here. And Jeremiah had the right to claim the property. I don't know how much the pieces of silver that he paid was worth, but uh, it it had to be very a, a high price for that time frame. But he paid it to redeem that property, to keep it in his family. Because it was time, it was the year of Jubilee, it was time to redeem the property and let it come back to the rightful family. He's still in prison. What's he going to do with the land? It doesn't matter. He had the right to redeem that property, and he does. As we can continue reading. If you read in the bulletin, or if you go to Jeremiah uh, chapter 32, you can read the entire account of how he came into pos- repossessing the land for his family. But that's what the year of Jubilee is about. And although he had the right to the title deed, he still wasn't the ultimate owner. But the bottom line of what happened was that once he redeemed that property, it closed with God reminding Jeremiah that if anyone can do the impossible, it's him. He says, behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is anything too wondrous for me? He reminds him that he can do all things. He can do anything. He can get Jeremiah out of that prison. He can restore growth and life to the land that has become barren over the years. And he can bring life through that land because he's God. And nothing's impossible for him. Again, he is the source of all life. Land is the source of all sustenance for everything alive. That's man and animals. And there are very serious consequences in the Torah for abusing the land and ignoring the blessing of the land. Going, looking back at Genesis as I close, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, it reminds us, By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, since, it, since from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. Again, God created the earth before he created mankind. Where did he create mankind from? From the earth. And scripture tells us in more places than just Genesis chapter 3 that that's where we're going to return to. Yes, we look at our ultimate destiny for our spirit and our soul as being the kingdom of heaven. But our bodies are going back to the earth that came from. So you could say you want to provide by taking care of the earth for a resting place for this body. God created it that way. That's the cycle of life that he established. We can't do anything about it except follow his advice, follow his commands, follow his mitzvot. Whatever he says, I will do. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. That should be our goal, is to please him, to do his will, and keep his earth as we would keep it if he were right here with us, which, through the Ruach, he is. See, the Israelites, when they heard these things, they didn't have the concept of a God being right there with them. It was like this supernatural thing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But for us, we know that he's here. 
We always pray that he walks with us, that he talks with us, that he leads us in everything we do, guiding our steps, directing our thoughts, our minds, our speech. If we do what God said to do with this earth, we have something to pass on to our children and their children. If we destroy what God has created on this earth, we will suffer consequences and so will they because we've done the wrong thing. And quite frankly, we have been doing the wrong thing. As a society, as mankind in general, the various things we hear each and every day in the news about all the things that we're doing that's causing deterioration to this earth, God's not happy. We shouldn't be either. Can we as individuals do anything about it personally? Not a lot except to do our own part. We can't do things for others that are doing the wrong thing. I've talked about this before. We're responsible for ourselves before we can be responsible for anybody else. In order for us to show ourselves friendly and to love one another, we have to show ourselves friendly and love ourselves. Then we have something to pass on. Caring for God's creation is important for the existence of mankind. It's important for the existence of us. And that's the way God designed it. We need to do things His way. And let Him do the rest. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank and bless You because You have indeed created us to keep and protect Your earth, to protect and to serve what you created, the land that brings forth everything that we need for our sustenance, for our health, for our welfare. It comes from the land which you have created, so it comes from you. We pray that you would give us a, a new urgency to keep, to, to protect and serve your creation, your land, your earth, that it will be here for years to come. Even after we have been called home to glory, it will be protected because we established it in our lifetime. And then our inheritance from that gets passed on to our children. I pray that we would always remember that all things come from you. And not just the things we can see in front of us on our kitchen tables, but how it got there. It came from you. You are great and greatly to be praised. We praise you for your goodness, your greatness, your grace that you've shown to all of us. Help us this week, Lord, as we Go through this week seeking you, serving you, following the leading of your Ruach. Wherever you have him lead us, let us follow and do what we're supposed to do. In Yeshua's name, amen.